are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. And yes, it is only Tuesday. (laughs) I woke up this morning thinking it was the end of the week already. Sadly disappointed. Weirdly enough for me, I thought it was like Thursday or Friday. I'm right there with you. I was like, what? What? I think this is going to be a slow week. Yeah. Mainly because of what happened this past weekend. But remember, that book is in the freezer. That's right. For those of you that listened to our show yesterday, you'll catch that reference. Or if you watch the show, friends. But if you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We flip the page to the South Carolina Gamecocks today, at least if we're talking about Auburn. We'll talk some Auburn basketball with you guys today, give you some of our early season takes on the Tigers. We'll also rewind to this past weekend, but once again, not about the debacle in Jordan-Hare. We'll look at some of the other things that happened in the Southeastern Conference, as well as we have NCAA basketball picks for the first time this season because, believe it or not, there are some good basketball games on tonight and already an early season upset yesterday the Illinois fighting Illini fall to the Marquette Golden Eagles there's been some great college basketball so far yeah absolutely and the the loss that Illinois had to Marquette is very similar in my mind to like the shock that everybody had when Missouri beat them last season early on it's just like I think Illinois it feels like at this point it's just good for a non-conference loss that just nobody expects well guess who the head coach is at Marquette shock of smart right right immediately three games in they're 3-0, and and they come away with a huge win over a top 11 team. It's, so it's not a Shaka Smart problem. It's a Texas problem. We've been saying this. We've been saying this. The program is no good. They Which makes win. me really sad because I like Chris Beard. Oh, man. What's Texas doing? Are they still undefeated? No, remember they lost to Gonzaga. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they got blown out, and then they lost to Kansas in the same day. Good day. Have good you day. seen John Rothstein's latest saying that he has on twitter because you know he has a ton of those for example auburn's is auburn basketball welcome to the jungle yep texas is mess with the beard get the horns i love, <laughs> I love it. that i love That's it fantastic it's borderline made me a texas basketball fan this year also because i like chris beard a lot and have a lot of respect for what he did at texas tech i hope he's successful at texas and that was a top five team prior to losing to Gonzaga last week, but still could end up having a very good season. Nonetheless, we're going to talk some Auburn football to open up today's show. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. And the hot topic of conversation this week is the two position groups that just suffered major injuries, quarterback and kicker. We're going to address the quarterback position here because I think there's at least a little bit more that sticks with the quarterback position on the depth chart. I don't know if you knew who your backup kicker was after Anders Carlson because you didn't think you'd ever have to get to that that point but Auburn quarterback where do we go from here 
Well, you're looking at a couple different options, but like we were talking about on yesterday's show, Brian Harson said we're going to be going with TJ Finley uh, from here on out, and I think he's going to be the answer. I think TJ Finley, until he proves that he is not – uh, he he does not have the ability to lead this team in this offense. I think it's going to be T.J. Finley moving forward. You look at his numbers on the season, there's not a whole lot to glean from what he's done this year. Only 51.5% completion percentage, two touchdowns, no interception. He's, interceptions. He does have a rushing touchdown, but he is not as mobile as, as maybe some people might have seen in the Georgia State game when he was scrambling for a couple of different uh, third-down conversions. He... He's raw in a lot of different places, I feel like, still, even though he's been in two different Division One systems. But T.J. Finley is the guy that we're going to be looking at moving forward. Let's head to the phone lines here now, 334-321-1390. Inspector has got things started off for us. Inspector, it's been a little bit. How you doing? All right, you guys? We're doing great. All right. What was I saying about the horns? The saying that John Rothstein has, he's a big-time college basketball recruiter, he says, mess with the beard, get the horns. And and the reason why it's called that is because Chris Beard's the head coach for Texas. Well, I got one for Auburn. Go for it. You don't win the games, you get the boot. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. I don't know if I'd get to that level with this team because it is year one for this coach, but um, it was disappointing on Saturday if that's what you're referring to. It is. Um, you know, I, I never was a great fan of Derek Mason, simply because of how he, uh, what he did at uh, Vanderbilt. But uh, that being said, gee whiz, guys, six touchdowns in a row without any adjustments, my goodness. Uh, I just don't get it. I mean, Williams got fired for, for his receivers not catching the ball. After what game? The Georgia State game. Yeah, yeah. Well, look at. I mean, you can't you can't get any worse at, at coaching as this game here. So this got to be. If something, I I'll tell you this. I, I he'll probably be retained until after the Alabama game, and uh, they should be looking for a defensive coordinator, a whole defensive staff, literally. And I'm I mean, trying to figure out if that's what I want, you know, or or if that's what Auburn people should want. And my reasoning for that is Auburn just went through a scheme change. Do we really want to mm-hmm. experience this year again? Right. Well, let me well let me tell you now. If if you if you're going to make a change, now's the time to do it. You don't give him two more years and then make a change because our recruiting is already bad. And if you think this is going to help our recruiting, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> That's yep. true. That's true. So if they're going to make a change, they need to do it now. I mean, Harson was quick to to fire that Williams. Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether it, it was Williams' fault or because the guys down are catching the ball pretty good on some occasions. I mean, I like the one-handed grab in the end zone. Right yeah, there's there. no he doubt. Was, receivers have gotten a lot better under Keysaw. Yeah, but anyway, uh, uh, we made history Saturday, guys, and it's not the kind of history we like. Yeah, it was the wrong side of history. Specter, appreciate yep. the phone call, my man. See you guys. That was Specter on the line with us, and you got some thoughts still about this past Saturday, about what's coming up this week, about where Auburn can go from here. Call in three three four three two one thirteen ninety. I'll say this: I don't like to talk about firing coaches. 
I don't like calling for people's jobs. I don't like doing that because they're real people too. They get paid a lot more than the average individual. I understand that. But I just don't like calling for people's jobs. Let's support whoever's in place. And, and um, you know, not, not saying that Spectre is wrong to criticize the defensive side of the football. Oh, we criticized it yesterday 100%. That was a massive failure from a coaching perspective for me on Saturday on the defensive side of the football because there are splits out there now of guys that have done the homework and Justin Ferguson's one of the guys who have done the homework I'm not going to tell you the actual numbers because that would be uh, revealing work that obviously people pay for that uh, for, for his for his work that he puts out there on the Auburn Observer but he's got a really good film room out there and you should uh, if, if you want to know what went wrong on Saturday on defense he breaks it down so two things number one I actually literally have uh, the the tab open with his stuff right now and I'll just go ahead and tell you it's painful to look at but it's 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 exactly it's it's hitting the nail on the head it's the split between three and four man rush and it is it is bad makes me want to throw up yeah uh, but but th- there's that, and then also something that you and I were talking about on yesterday's show, and I think we were talking about it a little bit off here. Not talking about calling for anybody's job in particular, but you know, you know the the trajectory for this football team under Derek Mason, if it doesn't work out, it's trying to brute force a new system and brute force bringing guys in into a new system that is eventually down the road not going to work out. If it works out and they brute force it and like, no, we're going to continue to do what Derek Mason is doing and just get guys in the system and then it's going to work, then it works. But if it doesn't work, like Spectre was saying, you've wasted those three, four, five years with a poor defense, poor scheme, and And you're in a much worse place later on. Exactly. You're at that point in a place where you have to rebuild completely. It's a risk either way. Right. But if you reset, then you're running the risk of tripping over yourself whenever you're trying to start to run and get recruiting in a specific type of scheme going. I also think it's fair to look at the season as a whole this year and say that it hasn't been all bad. No. No. Held Ole Miss to 20 points. Here's what's the weird the weird thing is, is it feels like the second half adjustments in the Arkansas and the Ole Miss games and a couple of different plays, the LSU game, it feels like he's adjusted in other spots. I don't understand this game. That's why I don't think people should overreact here. And I've seen different people talking about the defense and whatnot and if this is really what's best for Auburn. And sure, the defense has been up and down this season. And it's definitely not the product that we were used to under Kevin Steele because those defenses were aggressive. They were running a lot more man-to-man coverage. They were blitzing a lot more. It's definitely not the same brutality and physical nature that you were seeing. But I also don't think the personnel's the same. You don't have Derek Brown on the defensive line anymore. You don't have Marlon Davidson on the defensive line anymore. And I think those two guys covered up some serious inefficiencies possibly in some other areas because we saw the Auburn defense last year take a step back under Kevin Steele in fact statistically last year's defense was worse than this year's defense prior to this Mississippi State game I'm not saying to excuse this past weekend this past weekend was horrendous it was a massive failure as I just said but also think that you can't make a snap judgment off of one game here when the rest of the season has been pretty darn good and I'll say this about the future of it and you're right it is a risk Lance like you just said you just mapped it out you either keep going with what you're doing and you recruit for it and the idea is that you're saying one day it's going to work but if it doesn't work then you've built out this scheme 
that didn't end up working at Auburn and now you've truly got to rebuild it from the ground up for something else so it really sets you back after you failed for three years it sets you back for another three or four years because then you have to recruit new guys for a new scheme right right and that's just football so if you get it wrong just look at the Tennessee volunteers Tennessee is a prime example of what messing up one coaching cycle can do to the rest of the decade and Tennessee this year sure they've been a lot better but we're still talking about a five loss Tennessee football team right now we all get excited or Tennessee fans get excited when they win seven games now this has been a problem since Philip Fulmer got fired you know that's it's already been a decade in the works and back over the summer you and I talked about how this Tennessee football team could really not get on the good side of things until the end of this decade in the 2020s because recruiting is so hard done and you saw how many guys transferred out of the program so you got to make sure you get things right and I think the best way to put it right now is it's a sensitive time inside Auburn football because I mean you talked about this in the preseason recruiting's not good and it really hasn't gotten better now can it get better there's some guys out there that could flip we got some headlines coming up later on today apparently Auburn has the number one Juco player set for a visit coming in, a defensive lineman there out of France, Mba. Uh, he's playing at Independence Community College. Was that was last chance like, year. Yeah. That's but pretty cool. They're, they're, they've got guys that they've been getting in for visits that are high-profile recruits, and we know that those guys are not 2022 guys. They are 2023 players. Mm-hmm. And this year you're just trying to do your best job to seal the leaking ship in recruiting. But – I just don't think that uh, letting a coach go after one year when it when it has when it's been an when it's been an, a good product I think on defense for the most part from a statistical standpoint they're not letting people score they believe in yardage yes but they're not letting people score I will also say though like it may not be the move to let him go but doing what he did in the Mississippi State game that's a fireable offense you can get let go for stuff like that oh we've seen it it's an unex- it's unacceptable like it, like you and I were talking about it was like. It, we, we criticized it yesterday. It's just It was just really frustrating and confusing to watch that unfold. And it was a night and day difference if Auburn would just bring... Like statistically, yes. it is a night and day difference if you bring one more guy on the pass rush. Go and check out what Justin Ferguson wrote on the Auburn Observer. Absolutely. AuburnObserver.com. You have to go look at those numbers and just see for yourself the difference between a three-man rush and a four-man rush. And it's if, if we can figure that out then there's something obvious there was some disconnect there between Derek Mason and and his the guys around him well you and I asked this question yesterday why in the world do the adjustments not come why are they so reluctant to pull guys out of coverage because the secondary is not bad right I just I don't really understand when we said this yesterday so many different times I did I just don't understand why the game was played the way that it was because if you rush three against an air raid offense and you let them dink and dunk your zone or man coverage they can do it in a variety of ways with their four plays that they run it's it's so it was just so confusing just send a little pressure and the thing is it's not like Auburn's pass rush is terrible they can get home we saw that in the LSU game when LSU was trying oh, to Oh, we've seen it on multiple occasions this year. They can get home, just it's difficult and it's standard math when you only send three against five guys blocking. If there's five guys blocking and you send three, two guys have a double team and one dude's freed up on a one-on-one. Right. And that's it. And, and on average, you're just not going to get home like that. And if they've got six guys blocking, 
then everybody's double teamed. That's physics. That's 600 pounds on 300 pounds. Maybe not even because some not all of Auburn's pass rushers are 300 pounds. Not all of them are 275. You know, I mean, that's just standard physics. You're not going to beat that. You're not going to beat that. Every human being's not going to sit here and lift 700 pounds. Doesn't make sense, man. Does not make sense. And again, like you're saying, the product, I think, for the most part, has been good this season. You do that late in the year, though. You do that with three games. Three now games the season's left. on the on its hinges, right? right? Like the season was alive on Saturday, and we saw what happened in the evening when Ole Miss beat Texas A&M. The season was alive, and then it died at about two thirty p.m. Again, really much earlier than that. If you, you watch the game, you may not need to let. It may not be the wisest decision to let him go for the reasons we discussed earlier in the segment. But you, you. The way that it panned out on Saturday, you can let somebody go for that. I, it was it was that just embarrassing of a performance. We were talking about Auburn's quarterback position. We'll talk about that when we come back. If you want to call in, phone lines are open. If you've got takes, thoughts on where Auburn should go from here, not only at quarterback, but as well as everywhere else inside the program or with this team wrapping up this year, we'll be discussing that all show long. Call in 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Where does Auburn go from here at the QB position? All that and more coming up here on on the line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. We are taking your calls all show long. All show long here on this Tuesday. Be sure to call in 334-321-1390. What are your thoughts on things going on with Auburn football right now, basketball, anything that's on your mind, we want to hear from you. If you've got takes, if you've got thoughts on changes and whatnot, everybody's got an opinion, 334-321-1390. We were talking a little bit about Auburn's quarterback position and where it goes from here, and that's where we will redirect the conversation. But if you've got takes on anything going on, once again, we want to hear from you, and we'll talk about it, just like Spectre called in last segment. Excellent call from Spectre. Appreciate the call, Spectre. Yeah, and as I was saying in the in the first segment before we got to that phone call, just looking at T.J. Finley's statistics, I don't think there's enough there to really say one way or another, or even his on-field product, to say one way or another if he's going to be like a good quarterback for Auburn over, the, over these final three games or potentially in the future. So we're just going to have to, to figure out against the South Carolina defense I think we're really just gonna have to wait and see if he's going to be able to uh to be able to do some good things also South Carolina apparently is a top five unit defensively in the SEC but if you watch them play it doesn't look like a top five unit in the SEC so I'm interested to see what the dynamic is there with Auburn's backup quarterback trying to operate against a statistically sound defense at night on the road it's it's uh it's not a good start for for uh for the the new quarterback. Well, I think South Carolina's given up at 30 or over 30 points per game in conference play. The mm. numbers are skewed tremendously it's, it's from what the actual season numbers look like because of non-conference play. And to be fair, you can make the same argument about Auburn football on their defensive side. Some of the great products that Auburn has done the overall numbers and the overall statistics have been skewed a little bit by some fantastic performances but there's also been some really negative performances as well like this past weekend so maybe it does even out a little bit but tj finley started against this team last year 
with an LSU team that I believe is not as good as this Auburn team. Mm -hmm. And he torched them. Now, is this South Carolina team better and more motivated than last year's South Carolina team? Yes. So that factors into it a little bit. And TJ Finley is who you're going with this week. The question I've, I've asked myself over these last couple of days is how long is that leash? Because the way that this coaching staff talked yesterday at media availability is that it's TJ and it's pretty much not even close, which makes me think that the leash is rather long considering they really haven't evaluated backup quarterback options for this game. They will throughout the week, and I don't blame them that they haven't. You don't expect to be sent down to your third-string quarterback during your football season. You pretty much just have a two-deep at quarterback. Some NFL teams don't even take three quarterbacks with them into the regular season. They cut one and then if, uh, to their practice squad, and then if they got to call them up, they will if somebody gets hurt or they'll go into free agency. Just look at the Carolina Panthers this past week, right? So some NFL teams don't even take three with them. So I understand just having a two deep. And honestly, after you get past second on the depth chart, I understand not ranking all the quarterbacks three, four, five, six, because honestly, three, four, five, and six probably haven't separated themselves. They're all probably not very good. And they probably haven't received enough reps with your attention on them to know who really is better than the others. So honestly, second team reps this week, that might be more interesting than how's TJ Finley doing in practice this week. Because I want to know who's the guy who's the guy that may end up, you know, if TJ Finley's not playing well, who might end up in the ball game. I really want to see D Davis get on the field. I just want to see that happen before the season ends. I just want to see it. I don't know if it's going to be good. I don't know if it's going to be bad. I just want to see it. Well, I want to know if he can run. And I think we all think he can based off of what we've heard. I want to know if this guy can make the right reads because I would imagine they would stick him in some read option concepts. I want to know if he can make the right reads. If they give him some RPOs, can he make the right decisions? Can he make the throws? I want to know those things in a live game situation. And honestly, at this point, the, the plays are there. Like we've seen it with Bo. They ran Bo on plays designed for the quarterback to run. That exists in the offense, albeit at a very, 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 very small portion. But it does exist. And you could spend this week practicing those things with Demetrius Davis. You don't redshirt guys going into the season. Sure, you may have an idea of like, yeah, we don't want this guy to play past four games. But gone are the days in the past where if a guy touched the field once, his redshirt was blown. That's not the case anymore. You can play four games, unlimited snaps across those four games, and still get redshirted. There's three games left, and I don't think we've seen Demetrius Davis touch the field once this year. He could play the rest of the snaps for the entire season and still get redshirted. So that's why I'm with you. I'm in the camp where I would like to see some Demetrius Davis, at least packages specially designed for him, because that could cause some problems, and it could help this running game a little bit where somebody in the backfield other than the running back could tote it. Well, I think it could help this entire offense just getting some more looks out on the field. With a team that's operating now without their starting quarterback, I would like to see Auburn throw everything they can at South Carolina and Alabama over these final two regular season games. Get as many different looks as you possibly can for these two quarterbacks to try and confuse these two defenses 
Give them something they haven't seen before. Put Demetrius Davis out there. You remember the the run, the Bo Nix runs that he'll have to the left side where somebody will be pulling, and it, it, you, there's an option for a, for a sweep the other way. Let Demetrius Davis run something similar to that. Let's get him going. Let's get his legs going. Like you said, I want to see if he's mobile. He was known for that in high school. He was also a really accurate passer, apparently, in high school. Maybe dial up some easy short passes for him. Let's see if we can start working him in the offense that way. It's not. I'm not saying I want Davis to start over Finley, and I don't want Finley to touch the field. I'm saying I don't know if we've seen enough from TJ Finley. We certainly haven't seen Demetrius Davis. Let's just see what these two next two games hold. I'm just interested to see the different options that, in the different ways that Auburn could approach this quarterback position. I'm, I'm certainly think that there are a variety of ways that Auburn could really deal with this situation and and, and uh, come out on top. I also think the way that we look at it is vastly different than the way this coaching staff looks at it if you are asking yourself all the different things which you and I are all the different things Auburn could do at the quarterback position we definitely know what we expect to see at the quarterback position mm-hmm. and I'm expecting to see TJ Finley nearly 100% of the time if it's not it, it should be Finley every single play it, 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 it I expect that to be the case it's not what I want because, again, I just want to see the different options that Auburn has at quarterback. Now that we're in a position to where we can do that, uh, it, it's not like the season necessarily is forfeit. And that's what I'm saying. Oh, well, let's just go willy-nilly on experimenting. Well, let's try and give this offense the best opportunity they, opportunity they can to move the football a little bit. Let's get these backup quarterbacks mixed in, potentially. And so, but, but like you said, I do, I do expect T.J. Finley to, to be the guy that plays the majority of sna- the snaps, if not all of them. Also, just because you and I are saying that we would like to see some of these other quarterbacks slotted in doesn't mean that we don't think T.J. Finley is the right guy for the job. I do think he's the right guy for the job, and I don't think you can really go particularly anywhere else. We've all seen Grant Lloyd play. That's not the right direction. I have to believe that T.J. Finley is a better passing quarterback than Trey Lindsey, and then already at this point, just because of collegiate experience and because we, we've seen the two, albeit limited, but we have seen the two, I think T.J. Finley is a better passing quarterback than Demetrius Davis. T.J. Finley, if you're comparing Finley and Davis, T.J. Finley fits the scheme better. And if they're not trying to change things, what they're doing right now from a play-calling perspective, from a scheme perspective, T.J. Finley fits it better than D. Davis. Also, we've not talked any about Grant Loy. And I'll just say, if he's anything like what we saw in the spring... Auburn's going to have to look at different options at quarterback. It's just not overall right now. It's not the situation you want to be in. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about what Auburn has to do over the last three games of this season to be considered a success. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes into the Tuesday edition of the show. Talked a little bit about Auburn's defense, where it goes from here. Quarterback position, wide open right now, kind of. You know who's going to play, and he's going to play a lot. And he's the best guy for the job, too. And I think based on what we've seen, TJ Finley is the best guy for the job. But I also understand the curious nature of wanting to see the other guys in the room just because now might be the time to do it you're not gonna do it in the Alabama game so if you don't do it in this one you're not gonna do it at all 
Yeah, and uh, and like I was saying earlier in the show, I'm just concerned overall with whoever steps out there at quarterback against South Carolina on Saturday night. We're going to break down South Carolina tomorrow, obviously, on Report Wednesday, just talk about what they want to do defensively against Auburn, what they may do. But I am just – I am very nervous, even with T.J. Finley at the helm. I'm not – I'm not looking forward to that game uh, on Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. I may be the only Auburn person looking forward to Saturday's game. I'm excited. The prospect of the unknown excites me a little bit, and I think they're going to come out and play hard. This team has not given up this year. They have yet to give up. I think the culture has stuck. These guys have to be eager to get back out there in a race last week. Also, these guys have to be eager to get out there to a race last season because they did not take that L kindly, I don't think. And I think that's what is the motivating factor for Auburn at this point is pride. Now, on the flip side, is pride more than what South Carolina is playing for right now, which this is probably their most winnable game left to get to bowl eligibility. They're playing for their coach. They're playing in front of their home stadium at night to try and get to bowl eligibility. Which one do you think is a little bit more motivating? And I'll be honest with you, I do think it's South Carolina, but I also don't think Auburn's going into this game unmotivated. I think Auburn's going into it with plenty of motivation. I agree. Would you say, would you say, just random question, would you take Auburn with a backup quarterback over Clemson right now? No. Just curious. Clemson's defense is nasty. And I think Clemson could beat Auburn like 17 to 13 under the current parameters oh, of yeah. Auburn football's offense. If Knicks was playing, I think I would definitely take Auburn. But right Without now, a doubt, I'd take Auburn by two touchdowns. But right now, uh, man, it's going it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting uh finish to the year. Like I said, I'm just really curious to see how this Auburn offense operates. I will also say though, for South Carolina while it may be a tall task to beat Clemson's defense, they also get them at home at 6.30 uh, next week. So, I mean, South Carolina, even if they lose this game to Auburn, they've got a legitimate shot to get to a bowl. And wouldn't that be fantastic in Shane Beamer's first year to beat Clemson at home to clinch bowl eligibility? That would be pretty hype. That's the story that I want. Right. Auburn beats South Carolina. They bounce back the next week, take down their rival, get to bowl eligibility. Of course, you were bringing up Auburn Clemson there are bowl projections out there that see Auburn Clemson in the Gator Bowl which I didn't know this but when did the Gator Bowl become an ACC feeder I didn't I didn't know that it did apparently it has because bowl projections across the board have an ACC team in the Gator Bowl now instead of a Big Ten team Hmm. because the last couple Gator Bowls we had Indiana's played in it yeah played Tennessee and Ole Miss last two years interesting I wonder, maybe it's maybe it's different this year because of the way that conference conferences are are going to pan out in terms of records and different things like that. Like we've seen in the past, like Birmingham Bowl has like been for an SEC team, but we've also seen like two group of five schools playing it in, in it before. It's just seen projections for Auburn, Clemson, Auburn, Miami. Oh, give me that game, please. I think we I think we would beat Miami with TJ Finley. Ooh, what if you get? Tyler Van Dyke's best game though he's not he's not getting his best game against Auburn no we're not we're not losing Miami if we played Miami we, we wouldn't lose what is intern St- Sting, St- Sting saying intern Sting, Sting is wood. pitching a fit 
He's saying he's saying knock on wood. I'm saying knock on wood. About what? About uh, you know, if oh that he, we, t- we would kill like, Miami. No, yeah, Tyler Van Dyke won't get his best game if he plays. Yeah, Auburn. I have a feeling now that's going to occur that Great. Auburn's going to play Miami in the Gator Knock Bowl, and wood. then Tyler Van Dyke's going to throw for four hundred, which we have seen this year. Well, well, it's not. I didn't. I didn't jinx it or anything. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm also, saying, who's the OC at Miami, gentlemen? Rhett Lashley. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we would beat him. We'd beat Rhett Lashley. He's not scoring on us. We know this guy. This uh. defense knows him. We know Brett Lashley. We'd be like, yeah, we're going to beat you by 40. What about it? Okay? I would If we played right now against Miami with TJ Finley, I'd take Auburn to win by three scores. And I'm not trying to exaggerate or be dramatic or anything. I'm dead serious. I'm choking on the hyperbole right here. <laughs> I know it's not. I know it's what you believe. That's It's true. I'm, I'm, I have I'm a lot of respect honest. for this Miami team with the way they're playing right now, even though they did just lose to Florida State this past weekend. And that s- offense can score, man. You saw how hype I was about Miami to open the season. Yeah. I'm, I'm being completely honest yeah, right now. Yeah, you are. I'm straight up. Now, Clemson... I think that would be a dogfight because they're because of their defense. I think their defense. And they're is more better, talented but, than Auburn from a recruiting standpoint. Right, but Miami, no, not on a neutral field. No, I've seen some. Well, Auburn did just lose to Mississippi State, so that may have thrown some of these in question. Of course, some Big Ten opponents as well. Potential Outback Bowl for your semi-annual date, or, or I guess every two years, every three years with uh, Wisconsin in the Outback oh, Bowl. Boy. <laughs> Insert Big Ten team here uh, that Auburn could lose to. I've seen some bold projections with that. All that to be said, I want to pivot the conversation now to what does Auburn have to do over the last three games for this season to be considered a success? You know they're going to a bowl game. They've hit six already. What do they have to do for this year to be considered a success? Because kind of the vibe, once again, I said this yesterday, the vibe coming out of that stadium was apathy. Right. Well, I go back to what was being discussed at the beginning of this season and what Harson was talking about and what a lot of fans were talking about is, look, we want to be competitive. I want to see Auburn go out this weekend. I want to see them beat South Carolina. I want to see them look competitive. I want to see them look like they actually care about playing football. Not, it's not like I'm saying that they haven't. I'm saying that, that, that I'm, I'm afraid that could be a possibility with the morale of this team shot potentially right now. And I want to see them look competitive against Alabama. I'm not saying I, I, I expect Auburn to win that game and therefore that will, that will quantify success for me. I'm just saying, look, I want to see this team go out there and, and hit some people. I want to see them compete against teams like Alabama. We even saw back in 2015 when Auburn had no business uh, playing Alabama relatively close. I mean, that game was a one-score game up until like the fourth quarter or something like that. I want to see competitiveness. I want to see in the bowl game something that we've not seen against teams outside of Purdue and Memphis, which is I want to see Auburn go out there. I, I would say a bowl win for me would, would quantify success. South Carolina in a bowl win would quantify success for me. That's where I'm at. This season, success is not hinging on Auburn beating Alabama. It didn't at the beginning of the year. But I do think you have to beat South Carolina and you got to win your bowl game, which will put you at eight wins on the entire year. It could have been a lot better than that. We all know that. After the Ole Miss game, we were all thinking that this thing was headed in a wonderful direction, that Auburn was headed towards the promised land. That is not the case. Auburn fell much short of that. But I think you got to beat South Carolina. I think if you beat South Carolina, though, and we know how we know the herky-jerky nature of this year's Auburn football season, of any Auburn football season. We know the overreaction and the knee-jerk reactions of this fan base. If Auburn goes out there and looks amazing against South Carolina this past weekend, what's the vibe going into Thanksgiving? Say it again, if they beat South Carolina. And beat them, 
really re- well. Re- really bad. It's going to be, hey, y'all, remember what Alabama's done against teams like LSU this season? Remember how they just have just fallen apart at random intervals? Yeah, Auburn's all of a sudden playing well with their backup quarterback at Welcome home. Welcome into the mind of the Auburn fan base. It's going to be like everybody. It's it's back on the menu, baby. Everybody's going to be excited. And uh, also, what happens if Arkansas beats Alabama? Six way tie. Then we're going for the six way tie. And I don't even care at that point. It's just like, man, this got some wild stuff going on. At that, if Arkansas beats Alabama this weekend, I'm gonna be like, I don't even care college football this season has been so stupid i'm just here for the ride man it's been fantastic i just i would just be like yeah so if auburn wins or loses i don't really i don't really think it matters either way because college football is going to do whatever it wants to apparently this season help me out here if we, got lost, beats in, we alabama, got lost in this last year if <laughs> arkansas yesterday. beats alabama that brings it to two losses for the crimson tide in sec play yes auburn is sitting at three right now yes Texas A&M is sitting at three yes. right now, and Ole Miss is sitting at two. two. So we still need Mississippi State to win. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, the most likely situation is a six-way tie, even if Arkansas beats Alabama. There's no way for Auburn to get out of that unscathed unless uh, LSU were to beat A&M somehow. For Auburn to be able to hold the tiebreakers over all the teams that have three losses again you mm-hmm. follow me yep so we do need a lot to happen we do need we do need some game I, I actually i'm not kidding i wrote down the percentages according to espn's fbi of these different at- matchups that have to happen and out of like the seven only three of them are projected to not happen and one of them is a 49 percent chance so there's two games right now that are per- out of the seven that need to happen for auburn to go to the sec championship game only two of them are games where it, the an upset would have to occur which, by the way, that and that's ed- the Arkansas-Alabama game. Yes, that's one of them. I might, I, I might have them on me. I may go look for them here after the end of this uh, this segment here. But there's only a couple of games where it's ESPN's FPI thinks that the game's not going to happen. Also, in that that Egg Bowl, Mississippi State is is Ole Miss is favored to win, and it's like a 50-50 split essentially. So, I mean, there's opportunity. What's the FPI say on Auburn, Alabama? I think Auburn's got like a 28% chance to win or something Okay, so like the that. two that are not likely is, is, Ar- is Arkansas, Alabama Arkansas, losing. Uh, it's Arkansas, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, and then uh, Missis- Mississippi State, um, Ole Miss. And then I think uh, Texas A&M, LSU. But I'm saying I'm taking that 50-50 matchup. I'm taking out of the, equa- the equation of like likely and unlikely. And I'm just saying these, these seven games – like I mean, most of them are projected to happen, and then one of them's a fifty-fifty split. So, man, it's on the table. It's on, that was my point. It's like it may not be likely in a couple of different in different spots, but it's on the table. It Just is, forget about it. Alabama's beating Arkansas by a lot this weekend. I mean, they 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 beat LSU twenty to fourteen. Also they beat, beat Mississippi at, State forty-nine to nine. They beat LSU, a team that literally is without almost every single player on their starting defense. Period. They're now playing with their third-string quarterback. Okay, they held Alabama to the lowest rushing total in school history. Okay, fair. I know what you're saying, but Arkansas just beat LSU sixteen to thirteen in overtime. Which means and Alabama won twenty to fourteen. So if we're going, if we're going down that route, that means Arkansas <laughs> somewhere in between, and we'll just have to find out this weekend. <laughs> We'll just have to see. We will just have to see. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's a pipe dream, man. It is a pipe dream. 
I'm with you though going back to the start of the conversation because we veered off a little bit what does Auburn have to do over the last three games for this season to be considered a success we want to hear from you on that what does Auburn have to do over the last three games of this season to be considered a success in your mind 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 for me it's beat South Carolina. I don't care how you do it. It's beat South Carolina. I'm not even worried about the Alabama game right now. And it's win your bowl game. This season is, is a success in my mind if they do those two things. Yep. If they fall short of that, it will not be a success because what did this coaching staff add to this team that Gus Malzahn did not in years prior? Right. I think some people would point to competitiveness, but even then, like the execution was certainly lacking in certain spots this season. So. I, I'm I'm right there with you. If Auburn if Auburn doesn't beat South Carolina and, and win their bowl game, I would be just a little bit disappointed. I would expect them to to win both of those games, e, e, pending the bowl matchup. Because if Auburn doesn't get a fair matchup, I'm just going to be like, okay, it's going to surprise me if they win, but I'm going into it not expecting it because because of reasons out of Auburn's control. Yeah, so. like if they get slapped with Michigan in a no, no, that's thank not going to happen. There's too many SEC teams that yeah. will get that before Auburn I think Auburn's going to get stuck with a mid-tier ACC team I hope it's not a team from the Big Ten I would not be shocked go ahead Birmingham Bowl no that's not happening Belk Bowl or Duke's Mayo Bowl excuse me Duke's Mayo Bowl Auburn's not that low that's what South Carolina's playing for right now well if if we lose these last two games we definitely sure but that's not happening Belichick I'm just saying I don't know why you'd say that. But you're talking about just me. Saying. You're talking about me ruining things with a potential Miami Auburn matchup, and you just said, "Yeah, we're not losing to South what Carolina and Bama." <laughs> I, I think way. Auburn's a lot. Even with Auburn having a backup quarterback, you guys forget South Carolina's on their third string quarterback. Third string quarterback, Jason Brown. So, although Auburn's on their second, South Carolina's on their third. And who would you take? Would you take Jason Brown or T.J. Finley? Uh, I'd take T.J. Right. Now, if you want to talk about motivation and all that good stuff, yes, I think South Carolina has more to play for going into this weekend. But if we're talking about talent and recruiting, come on, guys. Let's just let's be real. Who's more talented? Auburn is. We said that this weekend, though. Fair. We fair. Said. But I think it's a little bit closer against Mississippi State than it is against South Carolina. That's also fair, yeah. And but Mississippi State is, had beaten some good teams already this year. It is a road environment at night. Name one good team that South Carolina's beaten this year. Uh, ECU. That's a joke. <laughs> I mean, at this point, with the way Florida's playing, ECU may be the best team that South Carolina's beaten this well, year. Well, let's look at their schedule real quick. Okay, so they've beaten Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, Troy, Vanderbilt, and Florida. Who's the best team there? Is Florida the best team there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they are of the SEC teams. Let's put Florida up against Troy, ECU, and Eastern Illinois for the final few games of the season. Just see what happens. Because they gave up 52 points to Samford, okay? That was a basketball score. 52-70, to 70, it's basketball season now. Don't be lured in by the fact that South Carolina beat Florida 40-17. to 17. Samford could have done that if they had defense. I mean, come on. Weren't they winning at halftime? They were. Mm. By a touchdown. Man, they were up man. by two scores at one point in that game. It was forty-two to twenty-eight at one point. Man, so hey, just EC, saying, ECU's bowl eligible. That may actually be their best win of the season. <laughs> ECU, Florida, man. Let's see it. Birmingham Bowl. I believe it or not, I'm not even kidding. Florida and ECU played in a Birmingham Bowl in like 2014, didn't they? I don't know about. I, I don't remember that one. Okay, I'm not kidding. I, I'll, I'll pull it up in a little bit, but I'm brutal. I'm pretty sure. And then they also played in a non-conference game as well, like the following year. 
I may just I may be remembering things incorrectly. But I don't think Auburn's going to the Birmingham Bowl. I think what's most likely for Auburn, as far as bowl projections are concerned, they're going to play like a Miami or a Clemson or a Boston College who is at bowl eligibility now at six wins. Uh, Sting, the research department, just gave the thumbs up that that is true. What the Birmingham, Birmingham Bowl? Bowl? Yeah, they played in 2015, not 2014. And then Auburn played in the 2016 Birmingham Bowl against Memphis. But um, and then uh, or no, that would have been the 2015 Birmingham Bowl because that was still in December. At that time, that was when that or was that that was like a December 30th or December 31st bowl game back then. Yeah. All right, someone put Sting on the mic. He's the one with all the research. Tell me about it. It was on January 3rd, 2015. So it was the 2014 season. So I was, yeah, I was, I was right. Okay. I don't know yet if they've played, if they then played East Carolina again the next season. I think, I think Auburn played in the 2000, in, 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 still in December that year, though. I don't know if it had been January 1st. I think it was December. Yeah. 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 So you had 2000, you had two 2015 Birmingham Bulls. Fun fact out there, in case you didn't know that. Okay. There you go. Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we'll keep talking about some of those bowl projections for Auburn as well as where do the Tigers go from here over the last three games of the season. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, the Tuesday edition of the show. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. What does Auburn have to do over the last three games for this season to be considered a success? We want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on that question? That is our question of the day today that we'll be mulling throughout the show. For us, it's beat South Carolina. Forget about the Alabama game right now. I don't really care about that result. This year's success doesn't really hinge on that game. And then you win your bowl game. That is a successful season to me because winning that bowl game sets you forward on a positive note into the offseason. I think it helps keep these guys engaged, sends them out with positive vibes to want to return in the spring. There's not this type of lethargicness when you go out into the spring. There's a little bit of a pep in your step. Yep. Real quick, before we wrap up our number one, can I read off the ESPN FPI projections for the things that need to happen for Auburn to go to the SEC championship game or six-way time? I'm sure people are wondering what that is, so go for it. <laughs> All right, Arkansas has to beat Alabama. Arkansas has a 7.5% chance to beat uh, Bama. Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. Ole Miss has to win that game. 98.4% chance of that happening. Auburn has to beat South Carolina. 76% chance of that happening. Mississippi State has to beat Ole Miss. 49.3% chance of that happening. Arkansas has to beat Missouri, 84% chance of that happening. Auburn has to beat Alabama, 18.5% chance of that happening. And then LSU has to beat A&M, 43% chance of that happening, which is higher than I would have predicted. So you're looking at, let's see, one, two, three of those games being probable. You're looking at three of those games, two of those games, excuse me, being unlikely and you're looking at two of those games being almost 50 50 toss-ups so you're telling me that we have a chance which is why espn's fpi says there's a zero point or yeah there's a 0.2 percent chance that all of those things occur so the ultimate parlay as i said yesterday yes. <laughs> put down five dollars come out a millionaire and just no big deal <laughs> oh man I wonder if you could do that though. Stretch that across multiple weekends. Can you I make if a, that's an option? Can you make parlays over the court? Like if I wanted to at the beginning of the season, could I just make like a forty-game parlay? I don't know. I don't bet, so I don't know. That's it for hour number one. 
of On the Line, Tuesday edition of the show. We'll be back coming up at 3 p.m. We'll have Making Headlines, Virginia Tech, and Justin Fuente mutually agree to part ways. Some recruiting news as well on the Auburn front and around the SEC. A&M is stockpiling talent. Jimbo Fisher says he ain't going nowhere. We'll be back. are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and espnau.com you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open all hour number two. Anything you want to talk about so far on today's show, and if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. If you've missed any of today's show, be sure to go and check out our podcast so far today we have talked about where Auburn goes from here at quarterback what does Auburn have to do over the last three games for this season to be considered a success all of that good stuff and if you've still got thoughts on that and you're just now catching us here in hour number two be sure to call in here in hour number two we got making headlines coming up to start off the show or the second hour of the show rather as we do every day we'll start off with our first headline Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente this morning mutually agreed to part ways announced by virginia tech's athletic director yeah and i saw just a little bit ago that shane beamer was trending on twitter and i was like why and apparently some people uh, are looking at him as a potential candidate to take that job over he's already been asked about it and he said that he's going to be sticking with south carolina i don't know why virginia tech would want to go after shane beamer after one year at south carolina but uh, obviously the ties are there but still Interesting, interesting headline there. And yeah, with uh, with uh, Justin Fuente, I believe he was the uh, head coach at Memphis uh, just a, just a while back, and things I guess just didn't really pan out. They lost apparently their quarterback of the future in Hendon Hooker because we see what he's doing at Tennessee right now. He was impressive at Virginia Tech last season. Yeah, I think uh, I think there were some de- decisions made within that program outside of the quarterback position and the quarterback position that did not that did not bring a lot of success to Virginia Tech. Six seasons at VT, 43-31. and 31. This year started out with the bright promise of beating North Carolina in week one. Well, lo and behold, several teams have beaten North Carolina this year, so that game really ended up not meaning much. They got upset by West Virginia, and a couple weeks after that, I actually think it may have been the very next week in week two, and it went downhill in a hurry. Virginia Tech currently is 5-5. Five and five. Their last two games of the season – are against Virginia and I think Miami. I think that's their other team they're playing. They've got Miami and Virginia for their last two games. On the road, both of them. They're going to lose to Virginia. I don't know about this Miami game, considering Miami just lost to Florida State, but they're definitely both losable. I Also, you know, you look at some of the questionable games that they've lost this season. They lost a really close one to, uh, to Notre Dame, 
They lost to Pittsburgh by 21, and then they lost at home to Syracuse. To Syracuse, and then they scored three points a couple weeks later against Boston College. So obviously, there's been some really confusing things that have gone on for uh, Vatek. Early signing period has, I think, produced quicker coaching fires in a season than what we're used to. Because think about all the jobs that have opened up, Power Five jobs even that have opened up this year and some of them have already been filled like texas tech they already filled their head coaching vacancy but tcu parting ways with gary patterson texas tech let their head coach go usc and lsu very early in the season now virginia tech here's what i don't understand about virginia tech's move though you've gone this far you're 10 games in you could have made this move a month ago and it might have made more sense but you've gone 10 games now what's two more and sure signing periods coming up we're a month away from that still if you fire a coach now that still hurts you for recruiting yep signing periods a month away so regardless recruiting's gonna tank on top of that your hopes of making a bowl game just severely took a hit considering the turnover at the top and you're playing two teams that are very capable of beating you, one of which absolutely wants to eat your lunch considering they're your rival and historically has been number two in that rivalry series. Miami-Virginia Tech is also a bit of a rivalry game, obviously not as intense as Virginia-Virginia Tech, but Miami wants to win too. They're trying to get to a bowl game. They beat Virginia Tech, they're in. After that, of course, they get the pleasure of playing Duke their last game of the season, so they should still get the ball eligibility but Virginia Tech's in a tough spot and firing their head coach at this point in the year doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me I agree I agree I'm just looking up and down the ACC right now and looking at Virginia Tech and what they've done yeah like you mentioned I think the timing of this uh this this firing is really questionable to me but at the same time I think like I mentioned earlier there have been decisions that Justin Fuente and this team have made specifically revolving around the quarterback position over the past few seasons that have really not helped them in the long run it seems like they've missed a couple of times in this season just some questionable losses to like like I mentioned Syracuse who random fact by the way their starting quarterback is Garrett Schrader the uh for the transfer from Mississippi State just random fact there for you so Syracuse bowl eligible Syracuse is five and five but their last Ooh. two games are against ranked opponents at NC State and Pittsburgh so they're gonna they're probably not going to a bowl they got close I got close with Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker, who is one of the best running backs in the country as a freshman, but they most likely won't be getting there unless they upset NC State or Pitt. So, But yeah, Virginia Tech, really, really confusing timing. And honestly, 43-31 and 31 sounds about where Virginia Tech, I guess, wants to be. I know that might sound bad. It's like, are, do you think that you're going to get a coach that can elevate you to like a point that's like kind of past that, I guess? To be fair, this program did have one of the longest streaks of going to a bowl game prior to I think last year maybe when they may have forfeited a bowl appearance I may be getting them confused with another team but I do know they had one of the longest streaks of bowl appearances Beamer had this team rolling and this team consistently Virginia Tech before Clemson came along and honestly before Florida State won their national championship I think you would say Virginia Tech was right there in the mix of it every year. I mean, Auburn played them in a Sugar Bowl back in 2004. Virginia Tech was consistently one of the top three teams in the ACC every year, even with the turnover between who the top team was, whether it was a Clemson, whether it was Florida State, 
or whether it was Miami before that, they were consistently up there. And what has gone wrong with Justin Fuente has lowered the prestige of the Virginia Tech team and the Virginia Tech program to where it's easy to think and say, like you did, like is this Virginia Tech team really expecting to get past just slightly above 500? But in reality, and I know some Virginia Tech fans out there, this is an this is an incredibly proud football program and fan base. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at what they've done earlier this this uh, since the turn of the century. There was a point from 2004 to 2011 where they won at least 10 games, and after that it was seven, eight, seven, seven. Then Justin Fuente came along. It's been 10 wins, nine wins, six wins, eight wins, and then five wins here, or in 2020, and then they're five and five again. So. It's kind of been a steady decline under Fuente. I just don't know if they're going to be able to get a guy that kind of brings them back to eight wins or more every single year, especially with the coaches that are in the circle right now that could be looking at higher profile jobs such as LSU, USC, different places like that. The move might have been to let him go at the end of last year's disappointing season. Yeah. What was their overall record last year? I know they played an 11 game schedule. Was it five and six? Five and six. Yeah. That was probably the move, and honestly, I was shocked that they didn't move on from Fuente last year, but then again, it is a COVID year, and a lot of schools were saying, can we justify, and they're having to pay Fuente a buyout. I think it's about $8 million or a little bit over that. I believe it was negotiated down from 10. so they probably were in a position like many athletic departments where they were going to have a hard time justifying making a move like that when it was really his first bad season at Virginia Tech so I guess I kind of get that but we've been seeing the slow decline for Virginia Tech as you already pointed out and the program has deteriorated to a point where as I just said there are people out there that believe that this team's a 500 team historically whereas in really the last 20 years Beamer had this program consistently at the top of the ACC or in that mix of teams at the top of the ACC they're an incredibly proud football program historically in the Atlantic Coast Conference and then before that I believe they were also in the Big East so I'm a little I I, I the job obviously in this coaching carousel it's, it's bad timing because LSU and USC are going to take two hotshot coaches off the market and then you're looking at seconds at that point yeah so. is Virginia Tech the third best job out there right now TCU's out there of course yeah Virginia Tech and TCU are probably on the same plane Yep. because TCU's recruiting pipeline in the state of Texas and recent success in the last decade has to give you some hope that they could rejuvenate that with two big dogs leaving their conference I just so which of those jobs would you prefer TCU or Virginia Tech because mm. you've got the ACC which is horrendous and then you've got the big 12 which is about to open up which is about to be horrendous so I mean either way I think you've got a chance long term to have some success so. exactly one's got a little bit better of a recruiting pipeline than Virginia Tech at this point of course they could go into Washington DC but state of Texas all the way every time for football state of Texas is where it's at those are the best recruits in the country so it's it's they're they're down the totem pole in terms of interest for for coaches that are Florida looking. could open <laughs> it's uh some people are arguing right now that it should already be open after the uh disappointing win over Samford did you see the locker room after that game by the way I mean they were throwing down partying as if they had just won the national championship Florida or Samford Florida Florida was like dancing and screaming and throwing water everywhere and just freaking out oh how the mighty have fallen yeah you just gave up 52 points to Samford so Anyway, but the point being... They can win out, though. 
point being about Virginia Tech, this was just an odd time for, for Fuente to be let go. They could have managed the, the timing of this a little bit better, but to uh, potentially get a better coach. It might have made more sense to fire earlier in the year right. than now. Either at the end of last season or before the season started, or early, very early in the year. Because now at this point, and I understand not wanting to, on the flip side, I understand wanting to make this move at the end of this year or at some point this year. So maybe there was never a good time to make this move with the other teams that are on the market, as we just pointed out because you're going to have a hard time getting a hot shot coach Mm -hmm. and you're also getting to the table later so and honestly were they they're not going to pull they're not the type of program that's going to be able to pull somebody from another great program so the type that you're the type of coach that you're looking at if you're virginia tech is an upper oh no don't (laughs) is an up-and-comer from a group of five school right yeah or jamie chadwell that's fair not that far similar region of the country could be a possibility I could be. I want to see Chadwell move to a Power 5 job so bad. I don't know if I've made that clear on this show. I don't think Luke Fickle is that when he is coveted by some of the major jobs. If you're going to turn down those, I don't think you go to Virginia Tech. You bring up Gus Malzahn. Is there a chance that a washed up, and I should have put that in air quotes because I don't mean disrespect with that, but you know that's what people would say, like a coach that's been in the game for a while but just saw their run at a major school end in a bad way. Are there coaches out there like Gary Patterson or Gus Malzahn that could be of interest to Virginia Tech? Potentially. I think that's possible. I think Gary Patterson would be a knockout hire for Virginia Tech. But is Gary Patterson wanting to get back into it? Mm -hmm. Chris Peterson is out there. I don't know if he's wanting to get back into coaching, but he is out there. Gene Chizik, I think, recently may have said that he wanted to get back into coaching. Mike Elko. The A&M DC. I'm looking that to, for him to potentially get a Power 5 job at some point. He's been excellent the last couple of years. Rhett Lashley. No. <laughs> no. Joe Moorhead, the OC at Oregon right now. Nah. Bill O'Brien. Nah. Yes. I could see that. I could see that. That doesn't seem like the move for Bill O'Brien. Marcus Freeman. Who's that? Why uh, am I having a hard time? Rem- I know the name, but why am I having a... I'm just reading off a list of potential candidates that I've found. Uh, where is Marcus Freeman at? That's a good question. I'll look him up. <laughs> he's a coordinator, probably, if I had to guess. I think he's a... says football linebacker. He is the defense coordinator uh, for Notre, Notre Dame. Dame, right? Yeah. He was at Cincinnati. He made the move from Cincinnati to Notre Dame, I believe, this year. So there's a, there's a list right there uh, of people that I found, potentially. But I like... I like Jamie Chadwell. I'm not kidding. I'm like J- Jamie Chadwell the the uh, the most out of those potential guys. It would definitely make sense, but could it be another Justin Fuente? Because Justin Fuente made sense at the time because mm-hmm. he had elevated Memphis from the terrible program that they were in the late 2000s to what they were in the 2010s, early 2000s to mid 2010s. He elevated them to that, and so it made a lot of sense. He was incredibly successful in Memphis. It made a lot of sense. For Justin Fuente to go to Virginia Tech, we thought that was going to work. Well, since the uh, since the Jacksonville Jags are probably going to be letting go of Urban Meyer soon, we could see that potentially come into play. That's the Florida job, buddy. <laughs> That's the Florida job. Man, I wonder what that would look like. Got to grind out some wins at Virginia Tech. No, I'm, I'm I'm serious. Would Florida look back at Urban Meyer if Urban Meyer, yeah, if the Florida job opened, 
Urban Meyer is instantly a candidate, right? That would be like that. That's got to be true, right? Man, there's so we think as Auburn fans, there's a lot of drama surrounding us. Man, look at what's going on at Florida. That's it the, can be worse. That's a reality. Urban Meyer as a candidate, like oh man, that just seriously, like you could see that. Yeah, you could see the headline. You know, articles like this happen when a coach is fired, and be like one, CBS shoot. Sports or something like that. It'd be like potential candidates for the Florida head coaching vacancy, and Urban Meyer will be on that list. He's been on every list, every major list. He was a long shot more for the LSU one, but he was on the USC one when that job opened. Lane Kiffin, maybe? Lane no, Kiffin to Florida? Dude, if I'm Lane Kiffin, I am not going to Florida. No. No. Why not? No. I would much rather stay at Ole Miss. I'm content to win my eight or nine games every single every single year because my offense is going to be good. I'm happy in Oxford. I'm content. Maybe it's my bias towards Oxford. I don't know. But if, if, if it's me, I'm not going to Gainesville because I feel like there would be so much more pressure to do things like beat Georgia consistently. There's definitely more pressure and in Gainesville, I 100%. Don't, I don't think that, that if I'm Kiffin, I'm going to do that. I think I'm I'm staying as my my gimmicky seven to to eight to nine wins potentially every year. Only if Butch Jones had <laughs> won some games at Arkansas State this year, he might have been, been a awful, candidate for Virginia way. Tech. He's also got a lot less to work with than most of those first year head coaches. Yeah, yeah. They they had two quarterbacks on roster last season that they that split time statistically were fantastic. We talked about this before on the show. It's been James Blackman, I believe, the Florida State transfer that's been going for them, and he's not been very good either. Also, Brian Harson is outperforming every other first year head coach this year in terms of record and in terms of winning big games too, and the difficulty of the league that he's in. Honestly, Auburn's one of the toughest jobs in college football. And I would put it up there with like Kansas because of the difficulty of the rivals that you've got with you right now in Alabama, Georgia, and how they're recruiting. And then Clemson's also got regional pressure as well. And Florida's had some success also. But this year's first year head coaching crop has had an awful first year. There's a lot of guys with losing records. Let's look real quick. Will Hall at Southern Miss. Uh, Ooh, that's been very bad. Lance Leopold at Kansas, Two Butch Jones at Arkansas, Brett Bielma at Illinois, Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, Andy Avalos at Boise State. All losing records Terry, right now. Terry Bowden at ULM, Gus Malzahn at UCF, he's 6-4. and four. Blake Anderson at Utah State, I believe they have a winning record as well. Charles Huff at Marshall. Um, Steve Utah Sark- State just had a big win over San Jose State this past weekend to, I believe, get to 8-2. So maybe Brian Hartson is not outperforming Steve, Blake Anderson. Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, yes. <laughs> just la- I just got that laugh. is a punchline of a joke at this point. Just not even saying anything else. Just saying C- Steve Sarkis just makes me laugh. Shane Beamer, uh, Josh Heupel, uh, Kane Womack at South Alabama, Brian Harson. There you go. He's up there. Man, isn't it sad? It's been an a- awful first year for a lot of those coaches, though. Auburn was five and two at one point and had just everything out out in front of them. Man, Auburn was more than five and two. They were six, six and, two and two at one point, and they they had everything out in front of them. It's a shame. Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we still take a look at some of these headlines on Making Headlines. We spent a lot of time there talking about Virginia Tech as well as some other potential coaching carousel options. Recruiting is heating up. Four-star running back Le'Veon Moss commits to Texas A&M. They are eyeing the top spot in this year's recruiting class rankings as well as Auburn men's basketball signed a pair of guys in the early signing period. Also, Auburn football recruiting news. Number one JUCO player in the country sets an Auburn visit all that and more coming up here on On the Line.
little over 30 minutes left in the Tuesday edition of On the Line. It's been a lot of looking forward on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. What can Auburn do to have a successful season or for this year to be considered a successful season? We want to hear from you, 334-321-1390, as well as where's Auburn going from here at quarterback? How long is the leash for T.J. Finley this weekend against South Carolina? What are we expecting to see out of the offense? All that and more here on the Tuesday edition of the show, but we're still working our way through making headlines. Talked at length about the Virginia Tech job opening up with Justin Fuente and the Hokies mutually agreeing to part ways earlier this morning. Interesting timing there for Virginia Tech, but now we're going to bounce around with some recruiting news here. Four-star running back Le'Veon Moss commits to Texas A&M. Aggies recruiting class is now up to number three according to 24-7 Sports and the 2022 team rankings. They've got two five-stars in the mix, including, I believe, the top player in the country, ranked higher than Miles Garrett. Walter Nolan, he's the number two player in the nation, the number one defensive lineman in the country, ranked higher than Miles Garrett was when he was going into Texas A&M. They've also got five-star quarterback, number 22 player nationally, Connor Weigman out of Cypress, Texas. You got some great recruits going to College Station. And Jimbo Fisher had some words yesterday when he was asked about some jobs around the country. He said, I ain't going nowhere. And I don't think he should if he's pulling recruits like this, right? I mean, you got 70 million and that's bucks what coming he said. your way. Yeah. He said, why would I recruit? And this was kind of like a shameless plug for his program. It was almost a recruiting pitch. Why would I leave this program after I've recruited all these guys here for me to go and play against that somewhere else? Right. Exactly. And he makes a great point. It's like it's A&M... I, I've talked a lot on this show before about what's going to happen after Saban leaves here in a few years. Hopefully, it's not 20 more years of, of Nick Saban dominating the league. But as he said, we, there's like, what, eight years left on his contract? What does the SEC look like post-Saban? If Jimbo Fisher is content to stay at Texas A&M, then they could be one of the teams that emerge after post in the post-Saban era as one of the better teams in the Southeastern Conference because you're looking at the way that they're, they're recruiting right now. All of, it, all of this comes back to recruiting. For Auburn, if they want to have success long-term, they're going to have to recruit better. Teams like Tennessee, if they want to get to that upper echelon in the SEC East consistently, they've got to recruit better. Kentucky, if they want to continue to have the success that they had this season, recruit better. For A&M, if they want to have long-term success in this league past Saban, they got to recruit the way that they're going right now. They're building a really solid foundation to have great success in years to come. And like you said with Jimbo, I was like, why would I ever leave? Why would I leave if I'm if I'm recruiting this well? Would he go to Alabama? He, a certain head coach, about seventy years ago, left Texas A&M and went to Alabama. He was there for about thirty years. He made Houndstooth really popular in a certain sect of this population in this state. I wonder who that was. <laughs> um. It's possible. I don't want to see it happen because if he's proven that he can recruit like this, I don't want him at Bama after Saban leaves. That'd be that'd be a good way to hold things over. Now, there's a lot of cultural implications, or geographic implications, with Oklahoma and Texas entering the league. Mm-hmm. Things are about to get a lot more difficult on Jimbo from a recruiting standpoint with Texas and Oklahoma entering the league because now those teams, too, can pitch to Texas recruits 
that you can play in the SEC. So it's about to get a lot more difficult on Jimbo because A&M was getting the edge on those teams to a degree. They were recruiting about in the same sphere as Oklahoma. But you and I have been breaking down recruiting rankings, and it's a miss to me how Texas, who has had two top five, two top three recruiting classes actually in the last four years, how somehow they lose to Kansas on a semi-annual basis. Yeah, and I'll say I will say this though: Is it really going to become much more difficult? Because it's, it's I think the pitch for A and M is like, look, you can come play in the SEC with us, and we're by far a much better team than Texas and Oklahoma. We we kick their can up and down the road consistently. Maybe I, not Oklahoma. Maybe but not Texas, Oklahoma, yes. but Texas. I actually could see potentially A and M having success against Oklahoma because Oklahoma is vulnerable to to. Uh, not necessarily slipping up, but just looking bad against these mid-tier Big 12 teams. What do they look like against a mid-tier SEC team that does recruit better than those teams in the Big 12? I don't think A&M's a mid-tier SEC team anymore. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Is like if I'm A&M, I'm like, look, we've got our rivals obviously in this conference, and we've got these new teams coming in that are saying you can come play in the SEC with us. Look, you can come play in the SEC with us and have a chance to actually go to the title game and go to the playoff. Unlike them, it's like come with us. Come on, you know. Like that would be my recruiting recruiting pitch. Is like, well, sure, Texas and Oklahoma are, are here. That's cool and all. You can play in the SEC for them. We're actually having we actually have a shot at the national title. They don't. What that's what that's what we're playing for. All more eyes, by the way. I would think that because of the recruiting, more eyes are on Texas A and M. If we're if I'm looking from an NFL perspective, I don't mean for this to sound hyperbolic, but that Auburn A and M game, unfortunately, to me. Now that I'm looking back at it with hindsight and projecting out to the future, what if that game's kind of a bit of a tipping scales because Auburn was in a point to potentially go to an SEC championship this year. We now see how the year has gone. And A&M, although they're probably not going to make the SEC championship this year considering I wouldn't expect Auburn or Arkansas to beat Alabama, but A&M has set themselves up, especially with this recruiting class, for future success whereas Auburn's season and recruiting may be about to veer off the road a little bit and A&M could be setting themselves up for dominance in the SEC as you put earlier with Nick Saban on his way out of the league in the next eight years yeah also real quick congratulations Auburn you're not 14th you're not 13th but you're 12th in the SEC in recruiting good job guys yeah let's go if you do it by average recruit ranking Auburn's 17th nationally uh, but still, they got they got to get out of the basement if they want to have like like you were just saying have success long term in this league uh, against teams like A and M. Which, by the way, even if Saban leaves within the next five to eight years, it's not like the recruiting is just going to magically disappear for this next next coaching staff unless they're just absolutely terrible. If they bring in a guy like Jimbo, it's going to continue. So, Le'Veon Moss, the latest commitment for Texas A and M was the running back who committed to the Aggies. He was committed to Alabama, number 72 player nationally, number six running back in the country, four-star player. That's borderline five-star. That's not too many spots away from that. Excellent running back. Going to A&M, currently ranked third nationally at 24-7 Sports' rankings. Auburn signed a pair of recruits as well. We'll talk about that when we come back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left in the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl, with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. What does Auburn have to do over the last three games? 
for this season to be considered a success. How you feeling right now about recruiting? It's going to be about that time. Turkey season's around the corner, and right after that, it's presents, it's the holiday season, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, and early season recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> that at the very end. Uh, I've probably said this a million times on this show, but it's the best time of the year because you can go through the week and you cannot skip a beat. There's sports going on everywhere. There's Monday night football. There's Thursday night football. We've got Maction. We've got college basketball. Forget that. Basketball, baby. <laughs> that was with like the fifth on my list. Forget but that. I, I will w- only watch him basketball right now. <laughs> yeah, college basketball. After seeing what was just an awesome year last year in terms of all the different upsets and things like that and the way that the NCAA tournament went, man, oh, man, am I thankful that uh, stadiums are back and and crowds are back and we get to really experience some of these awesome moments, in person at least. Auburn men's basketball signs both Chance Westry and Trey Donaldson in the early signing period. They made that announcement today. Of course, they have two four-stars now in their recruiting class. Chance Westry is not that far away from being a five-star in terms of his spots in the recruiting rankings. I mean, he's a top 30 in some services, top 40 in others. He really doesn't fall down below that. Because of how basketball recruiting works, Auburn's recruiting class in the rankings may not look as impressive as across the state because Auburn's not pulled five guys yet. But in the early signing period, they've gotten two of possibly three recruits you're waiting to know um did Jairus walker choose houston he did yeah never mind i think they're done now i I think there was there there is one more guy that they're looking at i just saw yesterday he's announcing his uh commitment like later like in just a few days now brady do you know it's friday do you know who the guy is i do not remember his name but i can go look for it real quick go for it yeah there's a there's another there's one more guy that auburn's looking at that he that auburn it looked like they were in the lead for but there are a couple other teams pushing late and so we're just gonna have to see if auburn's able able to hang on to him of course the transfer portal is where auburn will find their others yes to fill out the rest of the roster that you lose but presumably and i'm trying to think help me here seniors who are they I don't know. Does does Auburn have a guy on roster that is uh, well? Zepp Jasper's a senior, but does he have another year of eligibility, or is this it for him? I don't know. I don't know. Because he he was he I think he is a grad transfer because he was a senior at Charleston, right? He may have two years though because last year didn't count. That's right. So he may have this year and one more if he chooses to stay. Brady, you got his name? Yeah, I got his name. Uh, Stefan Castle. Yeah. He's a twenty twenty three guy though. Oh, he's 2023. Okay. 2023, yeah. Okay. I think Auburn's done with their 2022 class. Okay, so like you were saying, we're going in the transfer. Yeah, I, I think that's where Auburn will look to fill the rest. Uh, regardless, though, you have brought these two in in preparation for potential NBA draft exits. Yes. Which is Jabari Smith, but neither of these guys fit the bill of Jabari Smith or his position. So you're probably going to have to go to the front court for a transfer player. You may lose Walker Kessler. Dude's balling out right now. I know it's only two games in, and he's played teams that are a lot less talented than he is at Louisiana Monroe and then Moorhead State. But if he continues to play like he is, there are mock drafts already right now with three Auburn guys going in the NBA draft for 2022. Yeah, with Alan Flanagan's the third. I'm looking at I'm looking at Auburn's roster. I I do I, I'm assuming that Zepp does have one more here after this. So. Um, if it's not going to be anybody graduating, but it will be, like you mentioned, some NBA departures. I'm interested to see what Auburn does down low uh, with the with the transfer market because after uh, after Jabari leaves and after, like you said, potentially Walker you could lose four leaves, and five on the roster right now. Right, not four or five players, but positions four, four and five. Four and five. I don't know if Akingbola and Cardwell 
after we saw what happened last year is really what you want. I think Cardwell can play the five, and I think he can play it well. Akimbola, I don't think that he's a starter on this team. I mean, he's he's 10th or 11th on the bench right now. Yeah. And he's been in the program for several years. So I just I think that Auburn's going to have to to look into the transfer portal to really figure out what they want to do, like you said, at positions four and five. Man, I just got really sad thinking what? about basketball without Jabari Smith. He's he <laughs> after seeing the way that he played against ULM, it's like that's the potential that we're that we're working with. He, he got some love from Jay Billis. Jay Billis was saying, if you haven't watched this guy play some ball, go watch him. It's not every day that you see a six foot ten basketball player strip a guy at one end and just take it coast to coast without even thinking it's behind not, the back dribble. It's not like you see every day on a fast break a six foot ten basketball player just pull up in transition for a three, knock it down, no big deal. Yeah, twenty eight points Kevin on Durant, Friday night, right? Twenty three, I want to say. Okay. But like that's it's literally Kevin Durant. That's what I've been it's, saying. It's Kevin Durant. And I just it's gonna be sad whenever he leaves, but man We've got non-conference play. We've only played two games now. We've got so many different play. It's it's. I think it's so easy to appreciate getting to see Jabari Smith play this season because we didn't get to see Sharif Cooper play the entire year last year. It's a different situation this year. It's like, finally, we got our five-star guy. He's going to be in the NBA. We get to watch him play an entire year for our team, barring injury, knock on wood. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of his games at Auburn. Another headline is we've taken a really long time to go through making headlines today, but this is something else that is pertinent to Auburn. Jeffrey Imba, the number one Juco player in the country, it's heating up for Auburn. Six foot six, 305 pound defensive lineman out of Independence Community College. That was a last chance U location. Also says that he has, uh, that he's from France, a four star, number one Juco player in the country. He set a visit for Auburn, November 28th, the Alabama game. I will just say, obviously, Auburn's recruiting class is a little bit bare right now. They're either going to have to get guys from the JUCO level or they're going to have to get guys in the transfer portal. I mean, they've got to get they've got to get somebody to play for them on the trenches, both offensively and defensively. If you could pick a guy like this up, it would be huge. It would be really big for the program. But they have got to get somebody to come to their to come to the program because right now, recruiting class. It, like I said, it's a little bare. According to 24-7 Sports on his recruiting page, the four teams that he has warmed towards in terms of interest, Auburn, Miami, Michigan, and USC. And also according to this sheet, his one visit so far has been to Miami back on October 22nd. So how hot is it towards Michigan and USC? Where does Auburn factor into this? He's kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, and if you listen on the line, he would know that Auburn would beat Miami by 21 points at least. So it's not <laughs> even a contest. Just come play for the Tigers. You'll have more opportunity. How much would they beat USC by? How much would Auburn beat USC by right now? That would be an interesting game. I don't know enough about USC to to give a an official prediction on that game. I will say, though, if you're looking to get, as a JUCO guy, if you're looking to rise in the ranks and go play in college, if you're looking to get some NFL eyes on you, I like my odds at Auburn because you know it's 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 sec country and i know you're looking at teams like usc michigan and miami but outside of michigan like who is not really it seems like like you just said a factor in the race right now like a big factor i don't know i like my chances at auburn especially given the rest of the talent on roster right now i just want to be real i'm looking at the standings in the pac-12 right now because i was wondering what usc's record was because we all just kind of forgot about them after they fired their coach in week two 
USC's four and five. All right. Talk about my Utah Utes, my man. They're I back. said before the year, I said, this is a team that can challenge in the Pac-12. And everybody was like, no, they can't. Now look at them. Number one in the Pac-12 South. Well, they didn't Undefeated, there Undefeated, never lost. They, That's not true. But They didn't there for a hot minute. And then they were just like, oh, we got rid of our starting quarterback. Guess that was good for us. Can, this, can, can, the, can TJ Finley somehow just elevate to a place where Auburn fans have not seen the quarterback position elevate in a really long time, please? Can we get the Utah treatment over the last three games, please? I would really appreciate that. Bo was playing great. You just want TJ to yes. play a lot better is what you're saying. Bo Nix has taken such a huge step over the past three or four games. I've been incredibly impressed with the way that he's been playing. Now, his legs have kind of been taken out of the equation recently. He's not really gotten the rushing uh rushing yards going since i really think that arkansas game but his arm has been good his decision making has been good the receivers have been getting better if tj finley can kind of step into the role now as as the uh, as the operator of the offense and just kind of play at a level like utah's been playing <laughs> that would be pretty sweet the key thing for tj finley is get the ball out quick yep. you saw on his limited playing time on saturday he had a hard time getting the ball out quick one of which he fumbled there can be no indecision here. And so this coaching staff talking about his preparation, that he prepares like a starter. It doesn't get more cliche than that coming from a coach. I just want to make sure, and I, and I hope, because Bo was doing a great job. Bo was getting the ball out of his hands quick. If TJ Finley knows the offense well enough, knows how to go through his reads quick enough, he can get the ball out quick. These receivers can, can pull the load. At least against South Carolina, they can. I don't think they can against Alabama, but they can pull the load against South Carolina. And so I wonder what they try and do in this ball game against South Carolina. I doubt more RPOs, but I wonder what they do to try and pull the load a little bit. Let's head to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390. We got Levi on the line with us. Levi, how's it going, man? How's it going, guys? Good it's to going talk really to you all well. Again. So first of all, Lance, congrats on the locked on gig. I saw that the other day. Thanks, man. Um, I really appreciate it. And so you're talking about Utah. I saw a funny thing I wanted to bring up to you. I didn't know if y'all had seen this. Utah, based off of some math, if they lose to Oregon this weekend, they actually have a 65% chance roughly to go to the Rose Bowl. But if they beat Oregon, that chance actually drops to 35% because they're kind of envisioning that these two teams will play in the Pac-12 championship. Right. So even if they lose this weekend, make it, lose to Oregon again, or even beat Oregon in the championship, they're kind of thinking that they're going to lose both of these games to Oregon, and then Oregon goes to the playoffs. So they're they're kind of thinking that Utah would be the next man up. I thought that was just funny. That is that they interesting. They have a better chance to go to the Rose Bowl if they actually lose this weekend. And that would put them as a five-loss team at that point, too. That is absolutely crazy. And I'm glad you tipped us that because I forgot that Oregon-Utah was this weekend, 6.30 p.m. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I saw that the other day, and I, was, I showed it to my brother, and he was like, there's no way. Like, that's wild. And then I went through all the stats, and he said, it makes sense, but it shouldn't make sense. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that tip out you guys. Yeah, I just want to throw that tip out to you guys. You know, I'm listening to y'all while I'm riding around doing some birthday shenanigans. So I will, uh, you know, I'll catch you guys later and keep up the good work as always, gentlemen. Appreciate it, Levi. Stay well out there, my man. That was Levi Fitzwater on the line with us. And then we've got Spectre back. He's double dipping here on the show. Spectre, how's it going? Uh, yeah, I'm double dipping. <laughs> I, want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about recruiting. Go for it. You know you know, way back when, I had that recruiting stoplight, you call it? Yeah. I had it on red, and, and uh, I ain't changed it. But let's, let me, my point to this is, if we 
make a decision of not releasing any coaching this year and going into next year, we need to do as much recruiting to our our starting seniors as much as possible because we have these seniors have got another year of eligibility, like Moultrie and the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about not all the seniors. I mean, it'd be glad. I mean, it'd be great if all of them did decide to come back. But the key seniors need to be back. And if recruiting's any kind of uh, element that you want to stress, it would be there because these guys are ready to play. They they know the system, and to have a whole new class come in. I know we got backups, but I don't know how well these backups are going to fill these these senior slots. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Auburn handles the current roster moving forward because I also kind of get the vibe that Auburn's going to, as a part of this culture, continuing to come in because I don't think that's a finished product yet. I mean, even look at what Nick Saban did in his first year. He went 6-7. and seven. I, I wouldn't be shocked if more guys left, if there were more transfers to come down the line after this year and, and or if guys just say, ah, I'm hanging it up, I'm, I'm done playing ball. But I'm with you. I think there are some key guys that I would like to see return. And, and this may be counterintuitive with the way the O-line's played, but... I think a couple of the O-linemen I'd like to see come back for another year. Yeah. Not all of them, but yeah. a couple. Yeah, I agree because I think some of these seniors have reached their potential and uh, that's all they got. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, w- I just want to touch base with you on that on that recruiting. I, I still stand with that, that red light because it's, it's dire. I tell you, it's really bad. It's not good. It's not good. Spectre, appreciate the call again. Thank you. And I like that he took it that direction because that, that, those are some great thoughts and I want to add to those thoughts here before we go to break. Um, I do think there's going to be, as a product of this culture continuing to seep in, continuing to dig its roots in, I do think you're going to see some guys leave at the end of the year. Yeah. I don't know who those guys are. That's just a vibe for me. I think you're going to see some guys leave. Maybe some guys didn't quite – maybe they were giving the coaching staff a chance and they didn't get quite the playing time they expected to. Maybe you see those guys leave. Also, I think you're going to see him hit the transfer portal really hard for Juco guys like Jeffrey Imba, who maybe they have a pretty good shot at. Of course, Auburn's now heating up on his trail, joining Miami, Michigan, and USC, according to 24-7 Sports' uh, offer sheet there for him. Um, you know, I, there's, you know, we talk to Christian Clemente often for AuburnSports.com. He says that they have a shot to flip some guys out of this year's class, potentially some four-stars there. But you don't expect them to take a whole lot of freshmen a lot of high school seniors in this year's class. You don't expect that. He's been saying about 17 or 18 is the number. And then they're going to hit the transfer portal really hard. I think you're going to see some guys leave. You recruit some of those guys that you envision being back next year that have that extra year of eligibility. Like I said, you know, the O-line, I think there's some O-linemen I'd like to see come back. Some of the O-linemen returning are more important than the others. You could improve this offensive line at certain positions by a transfer and retain some of the other guys, and all of a sudden the offensive line could turn into being one of the better offensive lines in the league, whereas statistically they have fit into that category in pass protection this year, believe it or not. It's the run blocking that you have to improve. Run blocking could be improved at one position. You know what that one position is? O-line. Well, on the offensive line. On the line. Uh, Guards. I was going to say the center position. Sure, that's that's also, yeah. As Belichick is going wild about it. He's like, that's what I mean, man. And it's the truth. I think Auburn's had a hard time, and this isn't against Nate Brahms. I think he's done well as one of the elder guys on the team, as a leader, as helping this offensive line from a football IQ standpoint. I think he's done a very good job. From a run-blocking perspective, 
Auburn has a really difficult time in this zone blocking scheme climbing to the second level and taking linebackers out of the equation and the first spot that I look to on an offensive line that's having a hard time zone blocking it's the center because that's what their job is is to get to that second level he's and they just haven't done it on a consistent basis this year and that's not a knock I'm just saying the reality is Auburn could Auburn could use a better center when was the last time Auburn had an excellent center uh, Reese Dismukes exactly that was, a, that was a long time ago man yeah that was, that was a hot minute ago and I, I think you could say 2017 there was that revolving door what did Kozan end up at center that year I think I think he did a good job but that once again it's been far and few between let's head to a quick break we'll keep talking about recruiting when we come back Three minutes left in the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's kind of crazy. Two games left. We're already looking at bowl projections. Early signing period recruiting. Final takes of the show today, Lance. Well, I would just say, start going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show, I'm just curious to see how Auburn handles the quarterback position with T.J. Finley, if he's going to be the starter, taking the most of the snaps. What does the offense look like, like you were mentioning? How quickly does Auburn try to get the ball out of his hand against South Carolina on Saturday? It was selectively RPOs for him at LSU. So what, what does the offense, how does it operate with these receivers now coming along, it seems like, with Kobe Hudson? And how about Javarius Johnson? who, if you add the 57 yards receiving to his total, he had like 160-something yards receiving on Saturday. I mean, he was a guy that was being talked about very highly in spring ball, and we're now getting to see as the years come along, he's really started to develop for Auburn. We got to see it in the Arkansas game. Kobe as well. Knicks missed on a potential touchdown to Javarius on a very similar play in the A&M game. We could have had that. Uh, Kobe Hudson, like you mentioned, I mean, he has been – I think I said this a couple of shows ago. It might have been on yesterday's show, but he should be like the second best receiver on on a normal team in the SEC. But he's playing to the level of the number one receiver for us right now because he's being asked to do so much. Kobe should not be he should not be asked to do so much for this offense, but he is uh, he's come through in a lot of clutch situations. And that's just by virtue of the way that the position shook out this year. That you yeah. had an entire new wide receiver core. And he has done a great job of developing into the wide receiver number one that many of us thought that he could become. I think when you look at the receiving core this year, maybe one of the most disappointing factors of the receiving core is that Demetrius Robertson didn't become as dominant as maybe we thought he could. That He didn't become the number one guy. It's been Kobe Hudson. Yeah, and I think Robertson, they've utilized him, I think, well. It's just there have been certain moments that Auburn could have capitalized on. Uh, with him in in terms of different play calls and things like that and execution he just was not able to produce statistically but yeah Robertson he's not been the guy that we thought he could potentially be and you know this was kind of said at the beginning of the year whenever we got him it's like well he's obviously going to be a veteran presence for us and he's going to do some things well but he's been floating around the college game for so long and he wasn't necessarily a factor at Georgia is he going to be that number one guy here some of us thought he would be and obviously like you said it's just not panned out that way of course Auburn basketball as well they made two of their early period signees Trey Donaldson Chance Westry the recruiting class isn't going to look awesome in terms of their recruiting ranking number that was last year's class obviously considering the high profile recruits and the volume this year just volume isn't as important 
to this team because not that many guys are going to be leaving no and obviously like I was saying earlier Auburn's going to have to really look at hitting the transfer portal hard and getting some big guys down low because they will be losing Jabari Smith and possibly Walker Kessler as well that's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line the drive with Bill Cameron following us here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama we'll see you tomorrow same time same place you know where to find us